Uh, I don't know whether it interests you or not, but the Screen Actors Guild or SAG Awards were announced yesterday. The Academy Awards and Grammys and whatever have their in-memoriam list of people who died during the year. Yep. And Gulpalil was on it. Oh, awesome. How beautiful is that? Like, obviously, I guess he would have had to have been a member of Screen Actors Guild, um, but just that level of respect and recognition um, just, yes, smacked me right in the face when I saw it. I, I was, it's a shame that I didn't expect it. Well, hello there and welcome back to the Eloquent in the Room podcast. I'm Rose Cooper and I've been away for a little while. Towards the end of 2021, I was feeling a bit burnt out um, from doing regular scheduled podcasts every fortnight. I do put a lot of work and energy into them. Editing is a big job, particularly if you, like I was trying to do it all in one day and um, yeah, I'm a bit burnt out from that brain taxing exercise and just generally feeling the pressure of a lot of stimuli from the year, lack of stimuli from various lockdowns. I kicked off the year by getting COVID. All the stress that I know everyone is feeling at various times during the last two years, so I don't need to elaborate too much. But I just wanted to down tools as far as the podcast was concerned and take some time off for my 60th birthday, which I did, and Christmas and and just mental health break, basically. Having said that, I simultaneously threw myself into more uh, social media content creation. I joined TikTok back in May, but I really just sat back and watched it and sort of worked out the bells and whistles and and worked out the kind of content creators that I wanted to follow and learn from and just figure out who I was going to be on that particular app. It's all about niche. You're supposed to narrow down your target audience and all that sort of stuff. And anybody who has listened to this podcast or followed me on Instagram um, (laughs) knows that I... My niche is kind of like a, a decahedron. It's multifaceted, multi-pronged. Um, it's, yeah, I'm all over the place. The only thing I can narrow it down to is um, I'm a creative person who likes to do things that have a specific point to them, consciousness raising, wise humor. I like to make people laugh. Um, so that's me just reestablishing what the fuck I'm on about here. And along the way, I, I kind of started to enjoy TikTok, but these things can be a bit addictive, I've got to say. It's a little bit too easy to become that person who scrolls a lot and uh, starts to spit out content like watermelon seeds. And yeah, it just it does get like that. So I'm <laughs> I'm readjusting my coordinates again to focus on other things. Some folks may remember that I was recording an EP. That has been hard to organise, but it's coming. It's coming. I will have a release date shortly, but in the meantime, as for the podcast, I'm not going to be putting them out fortnightly. I'm going to let them happen organically. I'm going to do what feels right and talk to people that I know that will make me feel challenged, not directly, sort of just push myself out of my comfort zone a little bit to have conversations that I don't necessarily feel like 
I'm the best person to be leading the conversation. So to that end, I am extremely thrilled to say my first guest for 2022 is the delightful Debbie Ballangari, who is a proud Indigenous woman. I met her on TikTok and immediately connected with her energy, with her sense of humour and with her advocacy and also her energy as an elder. And I regard myself as an elder and on TikTok I'm doing a lot of stuff that's about fighting ageism and and defying age stereotypes and all that sort of garbage. Uh, And I say garbage because I do have to be the muse for that and it requires me to, to be kind of more physically active and involved and and be a a spokesperson with my face not just my voice and jump on those TikTok trends and and invert them or subvert them twist them to my narrative and um yeah I'm having fun with it but yeah I'm very wary of of getting a little bit too um addicted Uh, Anybody who's been following TikTok lately will know that there's been a big drama happening, unfolding over the past week. I'm not going to go into that today. I may do so at a later date after it's blown over a bit. Um, And I would like to talk more about my creative stuff that I am thinking about doing and that I'm definitely doing throughout the year, but I will just throw to this interview first. Oh, and by the way, I will pop in a link into the show notes regarding David Gulpilil a wonderful Aboriginal dancer and powerful actor. His impressive body of work spanned 50 years. Right, so I met Deb on TikTok. Look, I I just said, do you want to come on the podcast? And she said yes. And I don't feel well enough equipped to pinpoint what should she and I talk about specifically. I just knew that I wanted to have the privilege of talking to an Indigenous woman and just see what happened, you know. And she was keen and she just said, look, let's just play it by ear and have a yarn. I am a typical white Aussie descended from convicts and immigrants. I have a lot of English, Scottish and that in my blood, but I associate myself with my Irish heritage. I can't tell you why, just that it's a spiritual vibe that I have uh, been drawn to over the last few decades since I found out I was descended from Irish convicts and I was really fucking stoked when I found that out. But otherwise, as an Australian, I struggle with my identity. I feel like a tourist. I feel like an interloper. I don't feel comfortable. Uh, I hate Australia Day. I'm trying to step up my own advocacy in that regard. I do some stuff, but it's not enough. We can all do better. Having said that, as you'll note in the conversation I have with Debbie, I'm not completely devoid of knowledge of uh, the culture and the identities and and stuff, just some general superficial stuff at best, um, which is to say I feel like I've largely overcome my white fragility, but what remains is just being deathly afraid just being deathly afraid of putting my fucking feet in my mouth and saying anything that could possibly offend an indigenous person. So so that's my that's my fragility, that's my insecurity and I set out to overcome that by just having a chat. So what you're going to hear is just two Australians having a chat. We're a decade apart in age and um, but we're cut from the same cloth in a lot of ways. We rambled on a fair bit went off on a lot of tangents. 
So the editing of this has been a challenge. Um, we did go off on tangents, like I say. So to keep a cohesive narrative, I've chopped it up a bit. So what I will do is pop in the occasional um, clarification in real time, interspersed through the interview and a little bit of musical interludes here and there, just so you know that this was the point at which I edited and took out a bit and, and you know, it, the conversation changes a little bit in character. Okay, so are you with me? Cool. Now it's my privilege to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land upon which I record this podcast, the Derek people. I would love to pay my respects to elders past, present and future. All right, let's get into it. Here is me and Auntie Deb. Obviously, we've been around the block a few times, so for me to say, tell me your life story, we could be here for a while. Um, you don't want to hear it. That's a whole drama series in itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'd be interested in, uh, yeah, seeing that on the screen. But, um, yeah, how did you get into, because uh, I know you're into linguistics now, was that yep. your entry point or where where did you get into academia as as stuff that um, you're interested in? Well, I was working, I, w- I worked very privately for a lot of years, just privately, you know, just working in a warehouse, so just mm. working um, working in an office. So I was a private worker and I moved from Sydney mm. where I'd lived for 20 years to um, Western Victoria, um, Eastern, yeah, Western Victoria. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, while I'm here, I might as well try and see if I can get into the community sector, you know. So I got a job just as a medical reception. So, whoa, did my eyes and my world open up because, mm-hmm. wow, you finally get all of the understanding and start to see all of the issues and problems and understanding funding and all of a sudden that everyday stuff of going to work and coming home is not like that anymore. It's like it becomes your in your blood, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Mm-hmm. So yep. that sort of started me actually doing courses, you know, um, that, and I was 30-something by then or 30-something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought, oh yeah, we'll do that. And then when I came and moved here and I started, I moved back to, to I moved to Tauri mm. to over 10 years ago. And of course I got another job and more career, you know, more courses came along and kept mm. coming and kept coming. And then eventually I was doing, I have always wanted to learn my language since I was young and I couldn't. And I remember I was in Sydney, um, when they first opened the language centre and first opened um, the place to come and be able to learn it. But for me to learn it and become a teacher, I had to move home and I couldn't mm-hmm. afford to move home. I had no one or family, none of my mum or dad lived there in that area anymore. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't afford to leave. I had to work. So, and I just bought a car. Mm-hmm. So there was like things I couldn't do, but it was always in the back of my mind. So I decided to, um, I couldn't do it then. And then when I was at work, they, this guy was walking around saying, hey, anybody want to come and learn um, Garang, which is the local language of the Birupai people? And I said, I would love to. Thinking in my head then the whole thought process was, if I can learn this, maybe I can read my language or understand, mm. you know, thinking, you know, are all Aboriginal languages the same or maybe I, I don't know, I, I had the dictionary, like I've had every dictionary from my mob, but looking at them you got this feeling of NG sounds and mm. what is this sound on? How come that, hey, that doesn't make sense 
you know, when you try and say um, Daray, Daray, or, you know, oh, no, Daray. Da, da Roy, Da Roy, and it's like, hang on, that's that, that doesn't make no sense. Those sounds aren't making sense. Mm. So when I got our language, um, when I learnt Kahang, I was like, my cousin was learning our language at the same same time. She ended up going and learning ours, and I said, mm. great, I want to go up and do it. So I want to try and work out how I can do that. And um, unfortunately, at that time, I couldn't go up and learn my language again. So I still continued on learning Gadang mm. and I loved it. But my cousin said to me, Deb, I'm going off to university um, to, be, to get this, to, to, to be the first um, Gumbangira qualified linguist. Mm. And I said, she said, why don't you come? Why don't we do it together? And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> yep. I could do this. I've really just walked out of, I've just been made redundant from my job and I've taken redundancy because of years of crap. So yeah, I could do this. Mm. Um, but of course I'm nervous Nelly. So uh, yeah. And I got in and um, I was, I, my passion is the fact that I didn't get to learn my language or, mm. or have the opportunity. I want that different for kids all around Australia, mm. you know, all around their different countries. I say Australia because that's what people recognise, yeah. all over their their own countries. So anybody in your extended family, to your knowledge, um, still uh, still speaks or has carried on the language? Because obviously the, the main way the language has been carried on is only by the persistence of people who insisted on carrying it on. And there's countless, I'm sure, languages that have died that are no longer used yeah um so that's the international it's crazy you should say that it's actually the international decade of indigenous languages uh for the next 10 years oh wow um commencing this year yeah commencing this year so oh, i have wonderful. to do a cheek chuck um so if you follow somebody like jacqueline troy on twitter she tweets about and felicity meekins they're both aboriginal um linguists because yeah. we have under 30 in australia under mm. 30 qualified. We have community linguists, which means they've got all their stuff and knowledge about their language but not might not know about someone else's language or knowledge. Mm. So when it, we can't dismiss them, they just don't have that same qualification. Then we've got people that have got uh, different, different academic qualifications but aren't quite linguists because they haven't done all of the units. So it's mm. really this tricky area. But in my family... I sit, there is the language centre I work with, they work, they work with, they have um, like people that go into the schools and teaching all the young kids. So the young kids are getting it, um, that mob are actually learning it. Um, my sister actually also has learned it and teaches. My cousin learns and teaches it to us and our family. So we are trying our best. It's documented, it's recorded. There's a whole heap of different packages out there. So... There is lots of work. We've actually opened a bilingual, my mob has opened a bilingual school, mm. so which is teaching language, culture and New South Wales education syllabus, mm. combining it all together. So, And it looks really exciting from what I've seen so far. They're actually walking in the bush and learning. So I'm loving seeing what yeah. I'm seeing. It, it makes um, me so proud. 
I imagine it would, and it, and it would be so complex because of the the way language evolves over the the decades and centuries, and and obviously gets diluted by colonialism and our accent. So if you've got people who are learning it and then passing it on, and then putting a different inflection or a different accent onto the language, it it might not be actually. That's the why same really, as it was. Mm. That's what. That's why we. They, my, the linguist and and Uncle Gary and Mike Nicolo and all of them are really, really make sure that they've got some good programs so that they can pick up on it because we do have. Um, I have seen it where there's two two mob two or three mobs from the same language group mm. language group. So Karang, or I'll say I won't say that, but I'll say uh, say like your central desert mobs. There might be similar language, but they might have different words for different things. Yeah. So they might have different ways to say something. Yeah. And the difference is, is we often get um, people will actually say, "Well, I'm still learning. Like, wait till I actually really fluently get mm. the language and have the sounds down fluently without having to stop my brain." Mm-hmm. And think, oh, hang on, how does that sound go again? Like when I look at the word, I'll go, mm, barandem. And it's mm-hmm. like, hang on, is that baran or is it something else? You know, mm-hmm. like because I'm having to double check and triple check myself. But mm-hmm. where these guys, they don't. They just speak so fluently mm-hmm. um, that it's not, not changing. But other areas where they're not pronouncing the vowel system right, you can see distinct changes going to happen. Mm-hmm. So there could be, and what I call, they'll have a direct dismissive or a section or an arm of a new dialect of mm. that same language. As in languages, like if we have a look at the R, at the two R's or the trill at the end of a word, mm. whereas some mob think because it's a R sound, they think it's a R, mm. R sound. So they mm. think it's an RD sound. Mm. So you can, I can see that this happens, but that's mm. called semantic change and what will actually change and of mm. course the ever increasing um brand new words in in the system as well so like you know this we moyabangi moyabangi and for those playing at home at this point she's holding up a mobile phone so that was the aboriginal word for mobile or cell phone now i should probably also point out that if you can hear some music in the background it's because my son and a friend of his are recording music upstairs i'm sorry that background sound is unavoidable that's just the way my house rolls and also this is a point at which we did go off on a bit of a tangent so when i return to the interview it's in a completely different space a lot of the reason for this as well was not just because it's two women scattered brains uh, also because we had a really bad signal we've had so much rain here on the eastern seaboard in the last few weeks so the much rain. attitude that english people english speakers have when they go overseas they begrudge learning languages and stuff and this i know it's embarrassing from the point of view of being uh, a white person and and talking to people and hear them saying oh they don't even speak english and you go why would they, you know, why should they? Why wouldn't they want to hang on to their own culture? Like, <laughs> but it's it's such a belligerent, arrogant thing that is taught. Oh, look, it drives me insane because even when I sit in the, in the uh, conferences, uh, my first lot, like this is my first, I haven't even graduated yet. And mm. I've already got a, I'm already talking on a, um, a panel next week in regards to um, just the way the university and academia treats even myself. You know, like I speak I, I speak fluently, but every now and then I start to go, I'll drop back into code switch, back into Aboriginal, Aboriginal English, mm. you know, it's because 
because like we didn't have words like H. People don't get that. We didn't have words like H in our language. There wasn't a, va- a consonant. Even though you see it in languages, it's, it has that's a different it's we don't have so we never had h to say that's why they say he or them we didn't have um t like you know th so like Mm. it sounds like a d Mm. them Mm. so you know like these uh so we should never be questioned on that if you but if you understand someone this is the thing that i say to people if you understand someone why are you correcting them Mm. Mm. if they've said the wrong word do you know their hidden disability because ultimately I am dyslexic myself and mm. I've had to have dictionaries. Like when I was younger, I used to get bought and brought. Mm. I know. Mm. No, but it's common. It's common. It's done all the it's, time. There's still things that you carry forth, you know, like they're bought one and brought, Yeah, you know. So it's like for me, it's like in my head and I had people hounding me because I got it wrong every single yeah. time. And I'm like, and, and it just adds to the humiliation, the shame mm. and the trauma yeah. instead of sitting down and so they brought me a book of differences so yeah. that I could understand because that was my one that yeah. I would get confused with. It's like people get a few confused with effect and effect, mm. like words. If, if you understand the intent, I don't have a problem with someone picking it up. And as for saying that linguistics, linguistics, actually comes from brown people. I need people to understand this and break that down. It actually comes from Indian people. Mm. And I say that in brown people because that's the first recording of it because I have had so many people come up and go westernised, as in referring to European, that European way of being taught. It infuriates me as an Aboriginal person because I had to investigate because they're dismantling my knowledge of what I'm being taught, but it actually has been do- documented from brown people. Okay, just to clarify, linguistics as a Western discipline had its roots in ancient India in the study and preservation of sacred texts. The grammarian Panini wrote a description of Sanskrit in about 1500 BC, which apparently is still unexcelled. So there you go. You learn something new every day. It's And there's so many commonalities worldwide in certain particularly, like you were saying, the TH and the D sound and, and all that sort of stuff and the, um, the colonisation of the United States and they've got um, Arcadian language and, and other sort of um, European languages that then mingled with English and then African and French and there's all of these different – it's just – so so fascinating. There's a wonderful guy on uh, TikTok as well, Sun McShow, I think his name is. Link in the show notes. Yeah, I know who you mean, yeah. And there's another one. There's another guy over there. He's amazing. I love him because I love following them because I say the same thing because I've seen kids being picked up on it as well. Yeah. Like in schools talking their Aboriginal English and they get in trouble at school for talking it yeah. in the playground and I'm like, why? Because they have to conform. Why? I don't get it. Why? It's why? It's obviously white supremacy and there's ableism. We're academically brought up with this system of testing and grading and, and, and bullshit that's like, you know, these markers, if you can read this and add this and do this level, it, it 
speaks about your general intelligence and this is sort of these boxes that they put people in. And I grew up, um, I think the only thing that I was kind of good at was spelling. When I was younger, I tend to be a bit of a grammar Nazi too because I would be like, this is all I know is how to spell and you've spelled wrong. And society told me if people couldn't spell, that meant they weren't very smart. But that was me as a young person thinking, well, at last I can do something that other people can't do. And we're taught to have a hierarchy of being better than other people. And I don't know about you, Deb, in the last 10 years, the idea of unlearning things has become so easy because it really does feel like you're just taking a layer of bullshit away from what your brain tells you, having lived a long life and learned about the beauty of people, the diversity of people, how prejudice and bias really plays into what you think about a person, not only based on any sort of racial thing, but disability particularly, because we're raised as kids to pick on each other. But I was bullied and picked on as a child. It's sort of a level playing field as a child. Everyone gets picked on. But because we create these hierarchies, as soon as you feel like you have risen to a level where other people aren't going to pick on you, certain people will pick on you, but other people aren't, then you marshal your own troops. And it's just, and it happens as kids. And I, I didn't learn anything about racism until I saw other kids being bullied and had to sort of learn from behaviors rather than just sort of, I had, I just remember having no clue, absolutely no clue. And just noticing that people were mean and thought, does that mean that I'm supposed to be mean. Like, you know, I'm talking about when I'm four, five, six years of age mm. and not having any clue. And then you learn all this crap and then you associate with people who are bigots or whatever and you just got no clue. It's so easy to grow up in Absolutely. Australia with blinkers and blinders and, and not see anything until one day you see it and it's like in Pleasantville when it's black and white one minute, it's colour the next. Once you see things, you can't unsee them. And yep. uh, yeah, and, and it changes you. And and it's so true because, like, in our era, the things that were acceptable are no, definitely not acceptable. Yeah. Like, I'm saying, like, we grew up on, like, when I talk to people about this, we grew up on show, shows that were like Mom, Poe, Kettle, Stop, you know, Petticoat Junction, um, yep. like, um, because I grew up in, in the country, you know, so yep. we, we, we only had one channel, two channels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, like, the things that they put on TV, we grew up with a black and white minstrel show on the TV. And yeah. my dad, I remember my dad sitting there saying, hey, you know, like, you guys look at these fellas. They think there's too, too tricky trying to be black yeah. fellas, eh? And love look thy neighbour. Love thy neighbour. Yeah, kids the country. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, like, and it was like that's what formed us, you know. Yeah. So, like, I mean, or our kids' shows were things like Pigsy, Monkey. Mm. I'm just saying it's all oh, or Wombles. You know, like if you go back and look at it, like that made up our environment. Like the yeah. things, you know, smoking was on TV, drinking was yeah. on TV. I grew up on number, nine, number 96 and the box. So oh, yeah, that, well, that was, was my really sex big. education. <laughs> Didn't we, we, I don't remember number 96, but, uh, yeah, people talk mm. about it all the time and I'm mm. like, ooh, 
Don't yeah. remember that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah, rave, we were, they rave on about the the first lesbian kiss, the first homosexual kiss, the first bisexual kiss. They all happened on Australian television in the early seventies. Well before it was in uh, America. Probably happened in Europe plenty of times, but, you know. Another tangent. If I understood what I knew now, God, I would have spoken up a lot lot more about different things because I used to sit there and go, oh, yeah, boys will be boys, you know, because that's how we grew up. That's Mm. how I grew up. Boys Mm. were, were boys, you know. I grew up in a time where... We weren't allowed, women and mothers and children weren't allowed in the pub at, in, when I lived yeah. in Ipswich. Yeah. We weren't allowed in the pub. We mm. weren't. It was only yeah. a male-dominated area. I still grew up in that. Yeah. There was a ladies' lounge, I think. Um, yeah, there was a ladies' yeah. lounge. Yeah. There was a ladies' lounge. Mm. It was very separated. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't understand that until, like, I really, because I'm kind of on the autistic bordering I'm on autistic ADHD kind of thing so it's like for mm. me some of this stuff didn't doesn't didn't sink in so it's taking well, it's me a not lot logical <laughs> it's not logical so of course it's not gonna that's the thing is that even when things are accepted and people go yeah I accept that because it's accepted I think it's really cool that there's still other people that just go well actually it makes no sense to me regardless of what you say and it's because it's logic yeah exactly (laughs) so how much of your culture did you grow up with as a very young person well it's funny because I say I did we weren't allowed to practice it and it's true we weren't allowed to practice it but in ways like the more I talk about it on social media the more and more comes out of different stories that happened and different things that my dad subtly subtly taught us Mm. without even me being aware Mm. um you know like things that I thought were normal are actually cultural, you know. Um, uh, my dad also gave me um, uh, different things. Like I grew up around my Aboriginal family my whole life. It's not mm. to say that, hey, they haven't been around. It's just you. Can, we hear my stories of my auntie saying, "Dad, my dad wouldn't teach us, her dad wouldn't teach her that. Mm. Um, you know, granny wouldn't teach us that. Mm. You know, like this is the stories that they're getting told. So you can imagine if they're not getting told, they're not teaching us. Mm. But when I was about, before I left, so in my 20s, 30s, early 30s, in between your late 20s, early 30s, Mm. my dad started getting involved with some stuff on the ground. So he, I would come home and it really just reopened what I, you know, memories of Mm. like the culture and understanding. Mm. And um, it was always... It was always a pleasure, you know, like to be involved in that. It was always felt like that was my duty. But mm-hmm. my best experience of my best lesson my dad ever gave me was actually making sure that you you have to keep going, mm-hmm. you know, like no matter what. Like so, you know, that can't go and party a little bit too much, never had enough money left over. So we went and did our cultural thing by going down to the beach, go worming, you know, go worming, get the worm. Um, get the worms, sell half of them to the local shop so they could sell it on to other people and then that would be used to get bread and milk and stuff like that and then we'd go fishing, we'd get our fish, come back home and cook the fish and then, of course, the bones would then go back into the net and that would be used for our burley again. So, like, it was just that cycle. Dad grew vegetables at home and uh, had always had veggie patches because, like, that was important. At least we'd have veggies and things like that. So this is, you know, dad would go and help out somebody just to maybe get a couple of bucks or something. My dad Mm. always, so he taught me that. My dad Mm. taught me that from a young age. Mm. Um, So even though I sit there and think, oh, did I really grow up in it? 
And then I look at it today and I go, like, that's an experience that people will never get mm. that have never gotten it. You know, fishing on the beach at night time, making no, not noise, showing the phosphorus in the sand. Mm. These memories just always, always make me happy. Those memories just, mm. just take me to a time that you just sit there and think that, like, and we, we did everything together as a family. It was never, you know, dad, dad, maybe dad sometimes went fishing late at night when it was later because it might have been the right time of the moon and stuff like that. Yeah. But um, most of the time, like, we did everything as a family. There was nothing done singular. Mm. That's Does wonderful. That sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They're great memories to have. Yeah. Yeah. How How did you enjoy your teen years and stuff funnily enough you were talking about it earlier so when I went to a school with 32 kids in the school so you know and then all of a sudden in year six I decided they discovered that I was aboriginal and I was different and I just thought I was just like you know most people yeah like like um (laughs) like all kids you know because we're all dark like we all Mm. had teens some teens you know summer kids by the beach we all were out swimming and so what suburb um, were you in then Scott's head Scott's Head, all right. Yeah, yeah, I know it, yeah. Okay. I grew up in lovely little town, Scott's Heads, and I loved it as a kid. Like um, my dad would dig up the backyard and would have hungies and cookouts and Mm. stuff from the backyards of the bowling club, you know. Yeah. (laughs) Even that, even though it's not um, like, yeah. So, so yeah, there was just many, many things. Oh, gosh. But uh, when when we hit grade six, I got copped a lot. Like you're Aboriginal and you know, this, it's all of a sudden things started changing. Mm. And then I went to high school and because I was late, I, we weren't there, we were in Queensland. So mm. I got to school late. So in high school, so I struggled to find my identity, but then also I would always want to feel safe because I didn't know whether I was allowed to have new friends or old friends. Or I didn't know where to sit. Mm. Um, some of my family, like I was at school with my older sister older sisters, you know, kind of, so I sort of hung around her. But then my other sister and my cousins and that wouldn't recognise me or wouldn't acknowledge me. And it was like, and so it was a real struggle between walking between the two worlds, a westernised world and my mob. It was a real big struggle struggle, um, of to where to fit in because I just wanted to be a kid and, you know, I I, I didn't realise how much until older that, you know, setting myself up in an environment where I had five different groups of friends mm. and I would just move and sit so I would never have attachment to any of them kind of thing. Yeah. Your own personal identity would have been obviously fractured and we, we tend to, as you say, code switch and be a certain person to certain people. So at what age did you sort of get to a point where, you felt more able to be authentic rather than um, appease? I've always been authentic, but people tell me, kept telling me, like, I had to be somebody else. So it's all my whole life, including employers, have said I'm the rough diamond, I'm the diamond in the rough, and I need to be polished because I don't quite make society. Mm. And it, it's always, I've always struggled with that is like, why aren't I good enough for that? You know, why do they need to feel the need to do that? You know, mm. um, it wasn't always pretty. There was some yeah. really dark times. I'm going to yeah. say there was really a lot of dark times as well. Yeah. I'm certainly not like the most of my family. I'm very much different and I've always said that I'm going to succeed. Mm. Not to say that they're not going to succeed, but virtually, you know, very strong willed and, I've always been very strong-willed and Mm. that's been half my problem. (laughs) 
because I won't let anyone, anyone that tells me I can't do something, I'll say, here, let me show you how I'll do it and I'll, mm. I'll just get it out, dig my heels in and I'll get it done just mm. to prove my point. I'm that stubborn. Stubborn, you're tenacious is what you are. Yeah, probably. <laughs> persistent. <laughs> See, there's, there's, you know, there's negative connotations yes. to stubborn but persistent and tenacious and, you know, those, those yeah. are the words you want to you reframe and just sort of, you know. Yeah, so when I brought my house, I think is when I stopped really pandering down to people, but then also like people were supposed to come and help me in my house and, and then they didn't show up. So I always, so I don't have attachments to the house as much anymore because like it's just this, why do people do that, you know? So I just sit there and go, oh, well, like, and I just let go of everything, you know? Like I didn't care if people thought my house was messy. I didn't care if, you know, um, if people thought I wasn't, you know, I walk around in a sarong most of the time and I don't care whether people like that or not. That's just who I am now, you know, like I don't care. I think in the last few years I've really let down my barriers a lot more and going, I really just don't care. Isn't it great? You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it is great, but yeah. you lose things along the way. And like um, I'm from university, I'm learning and from being on TikTok and I will actually own a lot to TikTok. Mm-hmm. because of the education of their of learning from people and watching and understanding and going, oh, hang on, is that what happens or is that what happens? But mm-hmm. self-awareness is really important and aware that you've got, like when I found out I was on the spectrum as an example, that was like a huge relief because mm-hmm. now I had something to say, this is me, guys. I can't, yeah. you know, I keep thinking, well, how can I better improve? I remember many times I've been to a speech pathologist because somebody said, you're Debbie, you're way too loud, you know, or kept getting told to be quiet. Like this is this is what kind of movement I can't handle now because yeah. for years, you know, and people go, oh, but I'm telling you to be quiet. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't understand what that's doing to me. Mm-hmm. And that tenacity to keep going yeah. has been my driving force because I don't want to fail at this. Mm. I want to prove. And now that my cousin's dropped out and her, another friend's dropped out, I really want to achieve at it, but I'm finding it hard. So you're doing it ma- mainly on your own now? I do it with a tutor. I, if right. I didn't have the tutor, I would not survive. If I yeah. did not have a tutor, I would not survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think now I'm actually having, I found this university here that's going to allow me to go do use their space, which is also going to be beneficial for me mm. because now I can, now I have a, because I have this problem of being at home and working and learning. Mm. My ADH brain just doesn't, allow it. it it happens but as long as someone's holding my hand mm. and that's not good that's mm. not a good way to be not loathing but you know lack of self-confidence in yeah. some things yeah and lack of experience on hands-on because I'm real mm. hands-on somebody says to me go and watch a YouTube you can watch that YouTube and you'll understand it yeah. I can't you have to you have to do the thing to learn it mm. exactly mm. that's mm. how I and universities and 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 western western world western education system needs to unpack that for everyone absolutely when i talk about my stuff of decolonizing this is what i talk about and that's what i'm going to be talking about on the panel next week because Mm. they hear oh hang on you're dyslexic so just get the reading and write down dictaphone thing that'll fix you go no 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 i have problems constructing the sentences Mm. but you can talk about it really well 
said, yes, I can. But when it goes to paper, it's mm. like something just, I can't do it. It's yep. really hard. Abstract thought is my favourite thing, is it, it, the idea that if the other person understands your abstract way of thinking in the same way, you could be speaking gibberish. It wouldn't matter because you're on the same wavelength and it's the same with learning and we know so much more about learning we know so much more about ADHD and ASD and and still we there's so much we don't know but at least at least we've created a space of awareness and tolerance that if we just do things a little bit different so that everyone can understand how is that not beneficial for everyone <laughs> time to pivot pivot obviously I'm white and I've grown up in a colonialised country and, and all this sort of stuff. And regardless of how I feel emotionally about race, I'm conditioned to screen my privilege out until the day that I went, oh, and had that light bulb come on. And it's been a, for me, it's been an incremental journey over the last, I want to say 30 years roughly, but it's, like I say, it's been an incremental journey um, when my kids were young, I went to a uh, I went to a mother's group, and we decided we we're going to have discussion groups. I don't know I don't know where we got the resource material from, but someone got this material. We were all distributed with stuff to read, and then we come back and discuss it. And the first subject that we covered was the White Australia policy. Yep. And I had no idea, like I had zero idea. I was in my early 20s. Oh, no, by that stage, I was my mid to late 20s. That not only was it a policy, but it was not even, not even hidden that it was the white Australia policy. It was inscribed in law and the way that we... we clubs, clubs, yeah. places where you could go. You didn't see yeah. those signs. Yeah. Like, you know. And um, who we invited to the country and gave them money to come to the country prior to talking about immigration, but just the settlement of the continent and everything that happened. But even the 19, yeah. 1980s when Liz Hancock was on the radio mm. and saying, oh, you know, if, if they all come and assimilate, if they all come along and assimilate in the country, then they'll be fine. And if not, we'll just put we'll just put poison in the water and kill the others off. Like that's in the eighties, man. Nineteen eighties. Oh shit. Mm. We're watching yeah. that after yeah. the policies passed. We're watching this on TV. Yeah, yeah. We're wa- we're watching it, and they're like people, like it's like people kind of want to bury the head in the sand and I've noticed this with my friend as well but yeah mm-hmm. I can understand what you're saying yeah. you wouldn't have been aware because you've never grown up with it and that's yeah, that same I thing. grew up in I grew up in the southern beaches of Sydney so it's like very very white bread like I think there was like a few aboriginals went to my school when I was in uh, primary school in the southern beaches and stuff and there was fuck, fuck all taught to us about any of it um in high school we started learning about things like the holocaust like i remember being 13 14 and seeing a a a mini series and they showed it to us in class time about the holocaust looking looking back on that now and just realizing that we were taught that retrospect and straight away i think about straight away when you say that like the holocaust and here's our black mob going over there like our mob going over there fighting for the country that they believe in as well Mm. fighting because they're going to get given this opportunity to have land fighting to help free these free this mob because they thought it was wrong as well yeah you know and they promised all these types of things to come back and just still be rejected Mm. and that's just as simple as I can put it yeah virtually 
So it's just it's just how the, the, the things can be different. And it's interesting to see, it'd be interesting to do, I've just seen a vision pop in my head of like a timeline of events, mm. you know, like, like, of like how, you, how, like, uh, how white Australia grew up and how black Australia grew up. It would have been nice to see that. I can see something with a timeline, you know, yeah. kind of, um, yeah, very yeah. different growing up. So therefore you end up with very big, um, you know, advocates of what we do now, like big mm. advocates because of the way we grew up. We've had to be. We, we, yeah. we were born. As soon as we, sh- we came out of our mothers, we were born to be advocates. And then we didn't have a choice. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't get this choice. Like yeah. we have to be because we have to, so we have to fight it on all levels. And, and I, I, I struggle when I see politicians allowed to carry on with their stupid behaviour like Pauline Hanson yeah. in, in, you know, I struggle when she does and says things that she does as a human. This mm. isn't just me as being Aboriginal or no. this is as a human, the way that she, you know, like oh, I can sit there and say I've had extreme bias as well growing up in Sydney for 20 years, myself mm. in the, my 20s, mm. and I just got on and did life. You just didn't mm. worry. People mostly accepted me for who I was. Yeah. An occasional one or two, you know, but mostly they just accepted me as Deb. That's all they saw me as. They didn't see me as Deb the Aboriginal. Yeah. Deb the, 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 the you know, they just saw me as a person. Mm. So with, as I said, with bits and pieces that weren't, but ultimately, you, you know, we, we grow up having to defend. But if anyone comes at me and says all oh, black fellas are drunks, I just, I just, I just lose my shit over that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like. Oh, crazy. Yeah. 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 I just, uh, the, just learning, um, like I say, I, I've, I've always thought of myself as not racist until I actively started following creators and, and there's very specific thought leaders that, um, really, really, uh, get to the, um, the heart, the heart of what's wrong. And the heart of what causes people to reject what's right in front of them, like the truth and the reality that's right in front of them, and somehow managed to put things in words that I believe if more people could listen to these particular people, um, the better off everyone would be because I, I, I think how can they not reach everybody? You know. So you have to explain it like you, you're going back to school, like when I talk mm. about that, like when we talk about systemic racism. Mm. So we talk about like and they go, people go, there's no systemic racism and, you know, they've got, you know, ALIs in systems and stuff. They've got people that work with Aboriginal people, you know, and it's still not fixing the problem. But mm. that's not the problem. It's not the people. It's where mm. you can get the dollars, where you can get the funding, where you can have the right services put into place. Mm. Um, it's about... Uh, it's talking about like with the unrealistic selection criteria that you have to meet for the government. Mm-hmm. It's as an example, I always talk about my story about like me sitting on my local, we got land back, right? Yeah. So we got land back. Um, we got our national park back. It's a goggle one gun national park and we got it handed back now it's wonderful. Now we got told for us to get that land back, we had to lease it back to national park. So we have to lease it back to National Park. Remember that. Mm. But National Park and the auspicing, they auspice the money, which means they hold the money, which yeah. means they then take a fee from that money to auspice the money mm. of the, that we get given for the lease 
to go back into the national park. So we don't actually have the money. It's still national park. It's just a title transfer. So it's a now, th- money in theory. Yeah, it's not mm. money that we get. Like people think mm. we get like royalties. Um, yeah, I know in some parts of the countries there are places that do get royalties, but not mm. in New South, not not well, my mob. Mm. So then they tell us the rules and try and manipulate and guide us, even mm. though we've got a, a council, we've got a board, and mm. guide us to what their direction is anyway. Mm. And like I, when I tried this once, I know I went up against my auntie once and I went like, you know, we've got people that want to leave their job and work and take care of country and they get the opportunity to do that, but they can only do it casually. Um, so they'll train them so that they can go and work in national parks elsewhere. But mm. when it came to ha- them having a job at the end of it, no, they still would have had mm. to apply or wait or go elsewhere to get the mm. job. Mm. So not actually become a lang- uh, Gungawangan um, ranger. And then we can't just go and camp there anytime we want, even though it's our land. We have to still seek permission, which is I can under, kind of understand that ruling and, you know, making it fair and everything like that. But when people say go back to your country and start to learn, this is the rule. We can't just go back. We can't just go and do whatever we want. Yeah. We're not allowed to. Oh, when, God. Okay, go and watch Charlie's Country within the first five minutes. I was so angry. Here's mm. the perfect example of Charlie's Country. First five minutes in Charlie's Country, he goes off. He's going into the bush and he shoots because that's a new weapon of the thing. Goes mm. off in the gun in the bush and he shoots shoots something for, for Tucker, brings it back to the tribe, the mob, you know. And this is David Gullible. Mm. And um, and then we, he brings it back to the tribe, and the and it, the police officers are there, and take said Charlie, you can't have that. That's not registered. The guns, it's not right. We've got to. So he takes the gun. Mm. Okay, so we're talking about hunting, gathering again. So then he goes, oh, we'll bugger this, and he still wants to treat, keep up his traditional ways. So then he goes back out, and he goes back in, in and he makes a spear. Mm. a spear to go traditional hunting with. Mm. Copper pulls up and takes, goes, no, Charlie, you can't have that. We'll take that because there's been trouble elsewhere. So once again, to go, so tell me when everything mm. is taken off you, mm. how you are supposed to, to be in, how is the system not, we have these international rights that says we're allowed to act and practice our culture as much as we want to, but then, the system says, no, you can't. Only mm. when we choose you to be able to practice it. Only then can you do it. Mm. So camping, like the mob here go camping, they can only go camping at Christmas time because it's only the time that they'll allow them to camp mm. out there. Personally, I don't know how you just don't get it's hard ang- because angry you- and depressed and, you know, all the time. Absolutely, and this is the mm. problem is then when that's con- constantly happening and you're trying to deal with families and they've got mm. run-ins to stay with the police for kids, you know, for, for, diff- for kids or, or like themselves or anything, then this is completely happening, then you can imagine what they're feeling. That's what I'm saying. This is just at a basic level, mm. let alone just that's basic fishing or, you know, uh, or going somewhere, you know. So it's like, well, then the system says, well, hang on, if they don't want to, say, go work just and they want to practice their life by going hunting and gathering, well, yeah. the law says, well, hang on, you have to have a licence to go fishing. The law says you have to have a, go, a licence to go hunting, uh, shooting mm. or hunting. Mm. There's a law that says this. 
So the law doesn't allow our natural way of life mm. to actually happen. Mm. It says that we have to pay taxes. It says that we have to pay pay housing. It mm. says that we have to pay these things. So we can't live that life because we can't just go camping on the bush because then we're illegal camping. Mm. These are the levels, basic down to it. And I used to sit there and say myself sometimes, then, you know, if, if you've got the skill, then go and do live it like that. But it's not as simple as that because we're mm. still attached to this system yeah. and the system is not designed for us. It yeah. is extremely hard to work in communities mm. and then we have our own lateral violence that happens in our communities too because mm. the ones that, you know, um, that can't see that we're trying to help will we'll mm. always have because of the systemic system that's happened to them, yeah. Have then they take that on you and you're trying to and then if they're hanging around um uh, mob and they're saying something different you know so this is that whole you know you it's like this for them and yeah. you're trying to help them and you're trying to break through that and you sometimes you just can't you just yeah. got to walk with them and walk with them for this time and then hope they can get through and if I could bring back language for them to see their culture in language mm. and see how and get it to grow in them and that seed mm. and that being able to walk down the street and say something in language that they, these fellows might not know, like if I can turn around and go, ah, Nimbugaraba, uh, um, Euron or whatever, like big, mm. big stupid ass, you know, kind of thing. And um, without them knowing what it is, like I think that's even more powerful because they can have mm. a little bit of a joke because us black fellows like a joke. Mm. Um so you could you could make a joke out of it, but it actually when you connect, it spiritually unlocks layers within inside your body. Yeah. Because all of a sudden you want to have more, you want to do more, you want to help kids, you want to, you know, um, you want to you want to be better that way. You know, um, like I have for me personally, my job on TikTok is done when a lady's now going to university. Um, well, she said it's because of me, but you know, I don't know. It could be because she was. She got good yeah. at it. Yeah. Um, but I've got now a niece that sent me a message um, who I have never known and um, she sent me a message and said that she's now going on to school and going to encourage the kids and um, show them how to be better because of me being on TikTok, you know, mm. like that's the result I want. Yeah. I, don't, I, you know, I strongly relate to I strongly relate to that. What's the point of being an older person and learning the hard lessons, learning the tough lessons and knowing, looking back in retrospect and seeing, you know, the, there's two ways of looking at something distinctly and one is a blinkered view and the other one is a, a broad horizon of complexity where you actually don't know everything there is to know about the person based on their gender, their age, their race, their... their, their <laughs> If we see each other more for who we are, we need to teach, obviously, from, from a very, very young age, like from day dot, always yeah, get do. always get people to question um, what's in front of them and, and the way they think and, you know, always always get people to be curious rather than shutting curious, out like what, it. yeah, shutting yeah. out what they don't understand. Instead give people the tools to ask questions about what they don't understand. 
So that, but it's the environment as well. Like if the mm. environment, we need to build, make them feel comfortable in their environment. If they're not feeling safe in their environment, yeah, you know, like we talk about, like I talk about language, and I say, like, you know, it's really good for us to teach the language to our kids at school. That's fantastic. My always concern is, is that they need it at home. Mm. They need it at home because then they can lose it if they're not teaching, learning it, and teaching yeah. it then that's my thing. It has to be, we talk about holistic, that's holistic for me, is including the home yeah. environment. So yeah. me being on Zoom, I go on Zoom lessons every week to, to teach it and practice it. I'm actually setting up a schedule with another TikToker because they've been inspired from me as well and I'm going to be setting up a tick from them weekly weekly uh, Zooming lessons to talk and yarn between each other without the teachers to try and get it right, you know, so we don't feel overwhelmed and bow because mm. it's going to take me years. But I reckon give me 10 years and I'll be able to look, almost look at most languages because it's all about sounds and once you know mm. how the vowel system or their language works then you can kind of understand mm. it. Yeah, um, and you can kind of like it. Italian and Spanish has certain certain similarities, and like German, Germanic, and and uh, English, and yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's right. Like that's yeah. what people. I love it when people go, "Oh, you can't even speak English." I said, "You can't even speak English. It's not yeah. even your language." Yeah. I love it when they go at me with that because it's like. Yeah, yeah, we're an amount, a total amalgamation of so many different um, dialects. So mm. English, English stole everything. Like English, yep. well, I, I say still uh, in my TikToks, but you know, it's like anything borrowed. Like I asked, and I've got to do. I asked a uh, a Maori creator mm. how they would incorporate our word into phonetically into their language. So it's really yeah. good. Yeah, well, even the pronunciation of Maori is like we learned. Oh, yeah, we yeah. learned Maori. Maori, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maori. Speaking of what to call people, do we feel that First Nations sort of covers it now for most Indigenous? Cultures? I don't. I don't necessarily agree with that. that yeah, term. I don't. Okay, because it's still the rhetoric. I get the the uh, I get the the motion, um, mm. and I I understand it. Mm. But it still gives the loophole of them saying it's still so closely related to, like, here in One Nation, mm. Uh, mm. So, so I hear that. Mm. Then we still got somebody said, well, we were the First Nation because, you know, this nation, Australia, didn't exist until rule came along. So yeah. I actually... Uh, I, 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 yeah, I, I hate that I live in a bubble um, and I've been cushioned by, I don't know, just, just living in my own existence, my own world, my own community. But wherever I've lived, and I've lived in a few different places in New South Wales, I've been married twice, so I've been, you know, having complete existences for like a decade and a half and then moving somewhere else. As soon as I got into creative communities, that's when the floodgates of diversity opened up for me in so many ways because of the diverse people that are creative. That's the common thread. I feel so blessed. I knew I wanted to be creative but didn't know I could be. I thought you had to be creative from a young age or, or grow up in a, 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 yeah, gift, a, a gifted family or a lucky family that could send you to good schools and then you could maybe become an actor or whatever. So somehow I stumbled my way into these things by virtue of just loving music and loving theatre and, and just finding my feet. Once the veil was lifted and you see the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain working all this white supremacy shit, once you see it, I don't understand why you wouldn't feel 
sad and guilty and and want, you know, I don't understand why you wouldn't want to turn around to someone and say, I'm sorry that happened to you. You know, I don't, it doesn't even occur to me. But you've got this white fragility thing that is like, oh, well, don't teach us things that is going to make us think we're bad people. Don't teach our children to think that they're bad people and it's going on in America. We don't want to teach our children to hate themselves. And you're like, but you raised other people to hate themselves. White people raised other people to, to be, you know, vilified and, and divided and, and all that. And, no, and they don't seem to be able to see that. Yeah, absolutely right. But the thing is, is by not teaching it, we're still doing, and but also once again, I feel like we're setting up young kids again. Whether you're teaching it on one side or the other, mm. so say so for instance, the white kid at school gets taught this as a great understanding. Goes home, his parents still very much racist. Still yeah, got to yeah. live with it. Yeah, still got to live with it. It's a, it, it's this is where like because I come from a background of working with kids and seeing what happens to them and being you know a, a kid that you know through the system itself has been you know not valued so I sit there and I think about that and think well what are we doing for these kids yeah yeah unfortunately it's only people that are self-motivated to learn uh, what I've been doing with my podcasts and stuff I've been talking about sex orgasm and for for a while there I did a whole series of different things about consent right yep so i've I've spoken to consent educators and one of them teaches children from a very young age about body autonomy whether or not you want to hug someone and all yeah that's the basic thing yeah all these people people still try and do that to me and i go please don't do that as a child protection worker i'm like don't if they don't want to hug me i'm not going to ask them to hug me yeah please don't do that pivot 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 i knew that we'd probably just hit the ground running and start talking and i feel i feel a lovely connection i think you probably projected out to to your audience on TikTok, I feel this lovely connection. I'm very, very lucky that I've been able to develop lovely relationships with the people that I podcast with that are become ongoing friendships. But I wanted to ask you, because on TikTok, you've got to find a niche. And because it's so heavily censored, I'm sort of steering away from um, sex education and sexuality and uh, certain things. Oh, yeah, that's going to yeah. be a new thing. There. Steering yeah, away. Actually, yeah. I'll, I'll try to do it in my own way, but I'm sort of leaning into the anti-ageism sort of vibe and that seems to be where, where people are resonating and enjoying what I'm doing. And same with Instagram. They're like, that's sort of how um, people come to know me going, oh, regardless of what I'm saying, if they see someone of a certain age say things and realise that not everybody necessarily is uh, a cardboard cutout of their generation just by virtue of being a certain age that you can actually <laughs> communicate with people from everywhere and from all walks of life just by having your eyes open and, and all that. All my friends, nieces and nephews, friends love hanging out with me because I don't act my age, mm. so we're supposed to at a certain age, yeah, um, yeah. there are yeah. moments where no, I do fuck where, that. <laughs> where I tell them to stop being a bunch of bloody dickheads. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, they don't like it when I act my age. Then, um, yeah. but I have found it, and I found that this app is a bit ageist in the way mm. that they do things. Well, it's mostly kids, and and if you, the algorithm works so well that you can pretend that everything doesn't exist beyond what is on 
the For You page. You can sort of, you know, there are no bigots and misogynists and and uh, rapey teenagers and, you know, they're, they're not out there. They're just, there's just activists, you know, BIPOC creators and LGBT creators and all that sort of stuff. Um, but what I wanted to ask you, because in, in the world, the, the concept of elders, when I was... Um, one of the theatrical productions I was involved in, in was actually fundraiser. Um, I won't go into it because there's a lot, um, but I've spoken about it before on the podcast, but it's called V-Day and it's an anti-violence movement thing. And it was in 2007 and we had a production and this was the first time anyone said to me, even though I was aware of it, welcome to country and acknowledgement of country, even though I was aware in a peripheral way of what that might be. This was the first time I was involved in something where we actually in, invited um, a local auntie, um, and this was on the Central Coast in Gosford, mm-hmm. um, Jung country, and we um, had the acknowledgement and, yeah, just gave such, uh, like, deferential treatment to this auntie. I've forgotten her name. I feel terrible, but I've forgotten her name. But this was the first time that I ask myself, why do we do this? And then have to think, of course we do. You know, like I have to have this sort of moment of realisation of this acknowledgement of country and, and what it's all about. So that was the first time I had it introduced to me. But the idea of elders, and as a young person growing up, I was fascinated by Native American culture. And there was probably, I probably knew more about Native American culture than I knew about Aboriginal culture. I knew more about everything American than I knew about everything Australian. I could probably name more American presidents than I could name prime ministers when I was a kid, right? It's it's, It's changing as I get older. But when I was a kid, like you say, all of the, all of the media and everything was from the UK and the US and it was only after a certain period of time that there was laws put in place that there had to be a certain percentage of Australian content on television. And now with SBS, we have multicultural content and all this sort of stuff, but it's been a slow process. But the idea of elders, like in so-called Western civilization, we older people... Um, we look after them as best we can and then we shunt them off into a nursing home sort of thing or, or what it seems to, or, or people get laughed at when they get older. There's no sense of extra respect for elders. And then you see in, in anything to do with um, Native American culture that, you know, the person who is the, the most revered person is the elder person, I think, regardless of whether they were male or female as well. Just the elder person was the one who says, oh, well, this is how it's going to be because that's their decision and it wouldn't be questioned. And in Asian countries, subcontinent and stuff, the extended family revolves around the parents and the parents raise the children and then the children automatically look after the parents. There's just such respect for elders, and my, we we would say it, mum would say, respect your elders. It was like this cliche that she would say, not realising that nobody really took that very seriously. So for you to grow up in this colonised nation but always having contact contact with your culture and understanding, automatically understanding this this elder thing has it has it either influenced 
you growing up looking forward to being an older person and to having that elder status? And when does that, when does that happen? Like I was like, when does someone know that they're an elder? So according to Australian standards, it's 50. Um, <laughs> just so you know, but it's not how it works. Like it, and like when I grew up, like there's like talks now and many people will say an elder is not classed by age. It's not classed by age. It's Mm. classed, an elder is classed like knowledge or when you are given knowledge that is is valuable and taught. I know people that are young that are elders, but they can't talk about it because we've got this now colonised way of thinking elders means. Oh, right. To grow into my auntie status as Mm. what I call it. I call it an auntie status. Yep. And that status is very, it's a very hard role because Mm. I won't, I will say it's really hard, and especially as an auntie that hasn't had children herself, because it's it's one where you have to you can see both sides of an argument happening between a mother and a daughter or a father mm-hmm. and a son or something, mm-hmm. but you can also see your own self. But you have to learn to love them differently mm-hmm. and realize, I suppose, a lot of your own ego as a single person. You mm-hmm. have to let go of a lot of ego for them and let them make their mistakes without telling them. Yeah, and that's come from years of my work of what I've done, and mm. and I tell people today, like, if they're not going to listen, you can't make them listen. Do you listen yeah. when someone's telling you? So <laughs> that's kind of what what parents learn eventually is that they yeah, have to they I, have to let their kids make their own mistakes. And when par- mm. and I would do that with my friends. I'm bluntly mm. honest it's to the point that my friends uh, sometimes they like Debbie. I said, well, why do you come here then if you don't want to hear what I'm saying? You know, like I'm blunt as to them and I say, Mm. well, you know, I'm telling you, you need to heal or you need to do this. But but ultimately, if you don't, I'm still here, but it's just like it's this is what I think you need to do. Mm. This is what I think you need to do. Not that you need. I think you need to do this. Yeah. For me, I have honour and grace hanging around my aunties and don't worry, they still up me. I'm 50 and when I see them and if I've done something wrong, they up me. Mm. Deborah, And they Mm. call me my real name and it's like, Mm. oh, they're the only ones allowed to call on my name. So when they pass, yeah. no one else can call. When they've all passed, I yeah. will even deliberately go and change my name mm. to be not known as that. While my elders are alive, I'm not considered an elder, and some people I may never be considered an elder mm. because because the cultural knowledge for some things. I have some knowledge. I'll always be an elder to my nieces and nephews. Yeah. That's what I say. But if others want to treat me as an elder, that's up to them, mm. you know, um, because of the way that they are mm. and their upbringing. But to me, it was always um, older than us. We had to respect those ones older than us. Mm. But respect is earned, not given. Yeah. That is something that sometimes people don't realise. Respect is earned and not given. Absolutely. Because Mm. there are many, there are also people in our communities that aren't so nice and Mm. we're not, we, I I could, I could say that there are some not not nice people in our communities and therefore Mm. they would not have the same level of respect. Yeah. Do you get to be involved at a ceremonial level in regards to being an elder? I have no idea Um, what, what, what I mean by that question except... I kind of know what I mean by that question. I'm lucky enough that the local community here have allowed me to dance with them whenever they dance. Mm. So I feel very privileged and I'm kind of like the oldest one on the dance floor. Mm. 
Um, well, I'm not. No, 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 I'm not. There is other ones older than me, but to be a part of that, to be asked to be a part of that, that's taken me a long time. Mm. And the person can sometimes get in trouble um, or get some flack because they've asked me to dance, but people are now starting to accept that I'm here. So mm. it'll be like me going to another community. I wouldn't be automatically asked to go and participate in their stuff. I would have to be asked and I'd have to be a, an observer, just like any other person. I've got to still got to walk with like tread like a, a like a white fellow walking into a community. Do you know what I mean? Like I might have I might be black, but I'm just saying like ultimately it's about patience, time, not rushing in. You know, learning. I've got to walk just as gentle as like what a white fellow would have to go in yeah. into a community. You've got a lot of um, responsibility that being betwixt the two the two worlds, and that it, do you take the responsibility on, or do you feel like people are people put it on to you I will always defend my people I will yeah. always defend my people um mm. until the cows come home mm. but I will also look at each and every incident on its own merit I won't yeah. just bundle all the things together I have to look at it one on one mm. and I have to process it myself for my own opinion I won't just jump on somebody else's bandwagon mm. There are certain, certain, and I won't say, but there are certain subjects that um, I, I, I just won't talk about with people because I might because I don't believe in them, mm. um, and that's okay, and that's mm. okay. That's when to know when to speak and when no, not to speak. Yeah, yeah, you've got your limits. And yeah, mm. like I, I do. There are things that I will, and my my thing is, is I think I want people on the, on so TikTok as a platform to be able to have their voice and their creativity mm. and their their wondrous way of, of, of life. I've also got to let the younger ones know that they've come into this world now, that they've mm. also got to remember to help the elders again, mm. if that makes sense. It's mm. like this circle. It's this yeah. circle that's got to come back around because yeah. we live everything is in a circle. I, I think in life that as we move on, and I've done it too, like as I've gotten older, like I was lucky enough to spend a lot of time with all my aunties, but I made time to spend time with my aunties. Mm. But as they grow, like I can see now, like my nieces and nephews are in their life and they're mm. in their world and I can see that they don't see value in me as an auntie. Like they see value as invite me to all the functions, mm. but they don't value me just yet because they're in their life. You know, mm. they've got their kids and they're growing up and that's what they're doing mm. and they don't think outside that. I'm not in that spectrum because we weren't grown as, we were grown up as a collective but not really. Does yeah. that make sense? Younger yeah, people are they, very self-absorbed and I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just the way it is. It's, you know, they're learning how to be people so they're just surviving within their own paradigms and their own little, you know, how do I get through life with people liking me or whatever yes. it is or acceptance or, you know, how do, I, how do I do things like everyone else and then you get older and you go, actually, how do I do things the way I want to do them and what's inside me? You'd sort yeah. of learn, learn that after about 30. Yeah, but it's also the other part of actually, um, you know, understanding that um, I'm, I'm a person as well, like I'm a person. Mm. I'm a whole person who has feelings and emotions. I don't just, I'm just not. And it's a hard mm. concept for a lot of people. So I've learned that I can't talk to younger ones about my problems mm. or things without their using their own personal non-experience in my experience level body. Mm. 
but yeah, it's, but it's been wonderful having a yarn with you. It's been wonderful yarning with someone like in my age category. You know what I mean? Like, it's, and I don't get to do it very often, and you're probably the same. You don't get don't get to do it very often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just thank you for everything that you're doing. So this was the awkward moment in the recording where I needed to sign off, but we were going to continue talking after I pressed stop. But I, I will say goodbye so that we've got that ending. And so, so it was bye, and yes. I will also leave you. I'll do something else for you. Okay, so we'll say I say yow yarung, yow yarung, because I know Giddy Gay now is hello. Yes. Yes, Giddy Gaze, <laughs> how are you? Yeah, Giddy yeah. Gaze, how are you? Yeah. So now it's like Yarrung. So like, yeah, um, but it's really funny because everyone says Giddy Gay, Giddy Gay now. So it's really good. Like it's just that one word. So now I have mm. to do other words mm. to, to try Naya Yam. So I'm just trying yeah. to do Naya Yam, Naya Yam, yeah. Naya Yam. So I yeah. am, I am, I am. About mm. to release a video on that. But mm. I'll also, now you've also got Giddy Gay, Naya Yam, Barandeb. Thank you so much, so much. I really appreciate it so much. I'm I'm, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Absolutely. So that is how that went. We had such a lovely chat. Apologies again for the occasional technical difficulties and the tangents that we went off on. It was a tricky thing to edit, but hopefully you got the vibe. And the vibe is that we were just (laughs) two middle-aged women having a natter over the fence while we're shelling peas or whatever. It sort of felt like that at different times, especially when we talk about how things were in the old days. The older you get, the more vivid your very, very earliest memories are. It's not even nostalgia. It's just these memories that come to the surface. And sometimes they catch you quite unprepared because it's sounds and smells and uh, sense memory of those days It's just really refreshing to talk to people around your vintage who remember specific things in a specific way and they remind you of things. And I can't describe it to you, but I have a feeling you understand what I'm talking about. Or you will one day. Don't forget to check the show notes for the various references that were made throughout the podcast. I will pop them in. I suggest if you're on TikTok or Instagram, follow Debbie. I'll drop both of those links in as well. And once you're following Debbie, have a good look at who she's following and who's following her and follow those people too. The more we look outside our own very short-sighted and narrow-minded viewpoint of things, um, the better off everyone is and the richer our lives are. Yes, I will jump off my fucking pedestal and my podium, my lectern, my pulpit my soapbox and wish you all very well i've got a feeling the next podcast will be out sometime next month i do have someone in mind to talk to keep an eye on my social media to see what that's going to be about but um i'm gonna talk to people that take me out of my comfort zone for a while i hope you enjoyed it please send me a dm Message me at theeloquentintheroom at gmail.com. And yeah, let's keep these conversations going. I'm just trying to expand my own communities and in the process help everyone expand theirs as well. Lots of love, big hugs, but only with your permission. How did it go again? Oh yeah, yadiarang. Did I get that right, Deb?
Talk to you soon.